is The Hot Corner with your hosts, Patrick Harrion, Michael Imami, and Logan Franz. One hour of nonstop sports starts right now. And good morning, Middle Missouri, and welcome to another edition of The Hot Corner. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not the one and only Patrick Harry, and this is Michael Imami. Patrick is in Chicago right now. I'm Michael Imami. We'll be serving as interim host, and across from me today is Logan Franz. And Logan, we've got a lot to talk about today, don't we? We do. It's been a big week in the world of sports, and I'm ready to jump right into it. I don't know about you. I am definitely ready to jump right into it. A bit of a chilly day this morning on the way over here, but that's all right. You got to love the uh, fall weather. How about that? It's it's just kind of fluctuating. One day it'll be 70 and the next it's going to be 40. We really don't know what to expect down here yet. Yep, that's uh, middle Missouri for you. But another thing that's going wild right now, like the weather, is the World Series. The Nationals are headed back to Nationals Park in Washington, D.C. for Game 3 tonight. Uh, it appears that the World Series is taking drastic turns in favor of the Nationals. The Houston Astros are 0-2 in the series as well. Um, so when we talk about the Nationals so far, with the hitting that they've got, with the starting pitching that they've got, Scherzer has not looked like himself. Strasburg gave up a home run to Alex Bregman early on, but they've just been on a big, big roll right now. Yeah, I think the most surprising part of it is now Washington has a huge advantage over Houston because not only did they obviously win the first two games, but they won them in Houston. They yeah. won them on the road. Now they have two games in front of their home crowd. And I could see a scenario in which this ends up being a sweep. I don't think it's likely, but I could see a scenario where it happens. Yeah, Anibal Sanchez taking the mound for Washington tonight. Grinky taking the mound for Houston. As we can obviously tell, the crowd is going to be electric as it was back in Houston. The Nationals had a lot of fans over there as well. If you noticed on the screen, there were several fans doing the baby shark as well. Uh, which was quite hilarious. But uh, the the route of the Houston Astros was something quite interesting against Verlander because the two starting pitchers that had faced the Nationals were ones that had been the top two aces in Houston's lineup so or Houston's rotation. So it was something that was quite um, quite interesting to see Washington come into Houston against those two guys and to essentially tee off of both of them and the bullpen, which is something that would be quite concerning for Nationals fans going into the series. Yeah, I feel like before the series, we talked a lot about how, you know, Houston's got the pitching and they can take it all the way. And then all of a sudden Washington comes in. People are like, eh, like, yeah, they're good. But they kind of they kind of had that feeling of like a team that just kind of snuck in by like the right. skin of their teeth and one that wasn't exactly going to go anywhere. And now here they are in their first ever World Series and you can tell they're hungry and they're playing like it. Yeah, one of the big names last night or that night, of course, was Juan Soto, wild card night and in game two and in game one as well. The Nationals have big, big key hitters coming up big in a lot of key situations. Obviously, when you look at the Nationals rotation, there's a lot to brag about. They arguably have the second best rotation in the playoffs as a whole against the Astros as well. So the two best starting rotations other than the Dodgers, which you could arguably put in there in that mix, Dodgers were eliminated in the NLDS by the Nationals. So there are a lot of these teams that kind of came in there, but I think you and I both knew, Logan, that the team with the best rotations arguably was going to be in the World Series. Yeah, it just kind of made sense. And I had picked the Cardinals to beat the Nationals. I was kind of, I was always of the belief that the Nationals were, I don't want to say pretenders, but I just felt like they weren't the best team in the National League. I, I felt that was the Dodgers. And then 
the Nationals beat them in five, and they were kind of put on watch, but I wasn't quite sold. I felt like it may have been just a fluke one-time series win, but they've proved me wrong, and clearly in the first two games of the World Series, they proved a lot of people wrong. Yeah, the first game that the Nationals won against the Houston Astros, if we're going to break this thing down, they won 5-4 to four with Scherzer on the hill. But the second game that I will say they won was quite impressive. They won 12-3 to three in Houston. The crowd left it around the 6th or 7th inning. And I'll tell you, watching that game, the one thing that I noticed that I just could not get over was how many empty seats there were behind home plate. For being a road team going into a World Series game, it's always great when you have the silent crowd in your opposing team stadium. It's something that you really, really kind of take with you going back home. It's just, it adds so much momentum. Granted, we've seen the Houston Astros be in this position before, years and years past, and they've been able to overcome some of it. But as we talked about, going home to Nationals Park in Washington, D.C., up 2-0 with that crowd behind you, do you think the Nationals legit have a chance to sweep here? Yeah, I said it earlier, and I think they I think they really do. With the home crowd in any sport is a big advantage. And I think looking at what the Nationals have been able to do in Houston, I think they could be just as good, if not better, in Washington with the home crowd behind them. Also, a little bit about game two. This game was tied at two for quite a while. And then in the sixth or the seventh inning, rather, the Nationals just went on a tear. They had a six run inning in the seventh, and then they just they took the lead and they never looked back. And I think those kind of rallies are something that you love to see in these teams. Once Houston's getting into their bullpen, you're getting you're getting more hits and more runs off of that, and that's something that Houston's going to need to clean up if they want a chance in this series. Yeah, I mentioned that um, Zach Grinke is taking the mound for the Houston Astros on the road. Annabelle Sanchez will be uh, taking the mound for the Washington Nationals. Logan, give me your thoughts on Zach Grinke versus Anibal Sanchez. Do you think that this is a huge mismatch, or do you think that Anibal Sanchez has looked somewhat comparable to Grinke this postseason? I mean, I've always... Th- I've, looking at this before the season, I may have taken Anibal Sanchez. Then again, I think the... I think that Houston's rotation is the best in the league, and Zach Grinke's definitely no slouch either. But... I don't know. I think that it's going to be interesting to see how Houston tries to rebound because they need they need something to give them a spark, kind of light them up. And if Zach Greinke can have a great game and, you know, let the bullpen come in, let's say, in the 6th or the 7th and do their job, I think that Houston's going to need to ride that as much as they can. They need something to swing momentum in their favor because right now Washington has it and they're not taking it back. Well, Houston, we can all agree here at the studio that Houston made the right decision in acquiring Grinky from the Diamondbacks. Grinky is 18 and 5 with a 2.93 ERA on the season. And so, in my opinion, I think watching Anibal Sanchez, who is 11 and 8, 3.85 ERA, regardless of what the numbers say, I mean, you can overall, you could easily say that Grinky is clearly the more dominant pitcher throughout the season. But as we've talked about in this series and in the series past, in the postseason, anything can happen. And I think in particular, when you look at how Verlander played in game two and you look at how Cole played in game one. And Zach Greinke, I think, is one of those guys that can really, really make a lot of noise in comparison to his opponent that he's starting against. But I think, as yeah, as I've mentioned before, you know, the postseason, anything can happen. And it's just it's something that is just so wild. And we've seen it throughout these playoffs. Anybody can beat anybody. So regardless of how dominant the other guy looks on the hill for Houston, 
I think that this game is as easily winnable for the Washington Nationals as it is for the Astros. I mean, given the fact that Washington's up 2-0, they've got the momentum behind them. Their hitters have proven that they can really, really rack up these hits against the starters. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, that was something that we talked about before the series, too, in favor of Houston was, you know, they have Alex Bregman, they have Jose Altuve. They've got a lot of players that can make big plays and come in when they need them to, and then we were like, the Nationals have that too, but not as good as the Astros. And then the Nationals playmakers right now have outplayed the Astros. And that's kind of the bottom line is whether it be pitching or whether it be hitting, the Nationals have just clearly outpaid, outplayed the Astros for these first two games. The one thing that I will say that is a huge, 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 big thing, um, big mo- moment of hope, I would say, in that game too for the Houston Astros was Alex Bregman coming back to his former self, hitting that two-run homer off of Strasburg and tying the game at two. That was something to me that I think um, Joe Buck had mentioned it, and, um, you know, it just it kind of came to fruition that night because I think Bregman, who was not having a great postseason, he hit his second homer. It was something that I think a lot of fans were kind of loathing a little bit. They didn't know if this was going to be, you know, kind of a rough postseason outing for Bregman. I think it has been. We didn't know where it was going to turn. But I think in game two, Bregman showed that he's the cleanup hitter again. And I think that a lot of the time when you have a guy that is struggling at the plate, um, sometimes they just never get out of it. I mean, look at Fowler for the Cardinals. There are times where there are guys that, you know, come up in these big situations and they've been really struggling and they just come back and they're able to tie the game or win the game in these key situations. I think Bregman is the key for the Astros to winning the series. Can he start hitting again, which he showed he can? And the other thing is, is that, you know, is he going to be a guy that's going to hit for average? And we talked about how this is, you know, there's less home runs being hit in the playoffs. We don't know if that's because of, you know, the juiced baseballs or if that's because of something else going on. But it seems as if a lot of guys nowadays in this postseason are, are hitting for average now. There's not a lot of big home runs coming off. And I think we're seeing that fairly consistently throughout the games. I think the Nationals showed it in uh, in game two. A lot of the hits that they had were off of base hits. They had a couple homers in there, but a lot of those were off of base hits. Yeah, it could be this game I really feel like could swing either way. You can get a game that ends 11-0 to in favor of the Astros, and you can get a game that ends 11-0 and in favor of the Nationals. It really feels like one of those things that can just swing either way. Once a momentum shift happens that's when you're looking at, okay, this team's running away with this game, or even if it's in the ninth and you get one more, you know, this team's going to win by one run. But really, momentum is the big thing, and I think Bregman has momentum coming into the, as you mentioned, he has momentum coming into this game three, but the the entire Nationals team clearly has the momentum in game three coming back home against their home crowd and already having won two games. Yeah, I love the first the uh, top three in that batting lineup for the uh, Nationals. I love Turner, Eaton, and Rendon. I just love it. I don't know why I've been watching it all year, but I just love it. I think Turner is is a great contact hitter. He's great with speed. Eaton's a, a great contact hitter. Rendon's good for power. Soto is good for power. Kendrick is good for anything and anything possible. So I think that this lineup all in all is, and is, if Patrick was here, he would agree with me. I think that this is a team that pretty much describes devil magic. I mean, we talked about how the Cardinals have had this 
this before. And we talked about last week how the Blues kind of um, reminded you or this team kind of reminded you of the Blues a little bit of last year in terms of the baseball, the hockey relationship where there was a team that kind of came in there and they didn't look like, you know, they were, you know, a dominant winning team at the beginning of the season. Of course, the Nationals were 19 and 31. But when you look at a team like this and you think that they're, they amount to nothing and they have all this talent on it and then they just go on a hot streak. And so they've um, they've been flat out fantastic it's nice to see that all these fans that stuck with the team throughout the season were right I think a lot of the fans that believed in them no matter what that said don't sell you know you got what you've got don't move on from it there's still a chance to rebuild we have time before the deadline make sure we get the key pieces constructed in order and they ended up constructing a a decent amount of wins to get them to be at a respectable place in their division against the Braves And they went out and they got people. They didn't sell. They bought. And that was something that I think a lot of people in turn disagreed with because they were like, and the Nationals aren't going to go that far. Are they thinking about getting rid of Scherzer? And there were Scherzer trade talks and all that. And then next thing you know, they just started winning a ton of games. They crashed the postseason party. They got into the wild card. They beat Josh Hader in that bullpen. They got the runs that they needed. They won the wild card game. They won the division series against the Dodgers, which no one thought would happen. They went out there and they swept the Cardinals in four games. And now they look like they're going to sweep the Astro. That's a bit of a far-fetched statement, but they are up 2-0 in the series. So it's just, it's like no one expected this. No one expected this. If you if you go back to May of 2019, and I were to tell you that the Nationals would be in the World Series, people would laugh in my face. Yeah, they had a rough start to the season, and there was one point before the trade deadline where from May they had a 33 to 15 33 and 15 run where they were just they were picking up wins and then they bought at the deadline and people were like oh this might be a flash in the pan you know let's wait and see and then by the beginning of September we're talking about them being locked in the first wild card spot in the NL so it is really blues-esque from last year with them in the Stanley Cup it really feels like they're that team that just kind of everyone was kind of I don't want to say complacent but they were just kind of you know waiting on they felt like oh this is going to be a team that's you know a cellar dweller once again and then all of a sudden they come out and shock everybody with this huge run and buy at the deadline and they've made their team a World Series contender clearly yeah a lot of the people talk about how they're the best team in baseball since late May. I don't know if the record might indicate that, but they certainly have been playing like the best team in baseball since late May. They really got really got going. Of course, we talk about Houston season. They looked dominant all year long. They took that West from the moment that they walked in on the season opener on opening day. They said, we are taking the West, and they went in there, and they did it. They dominated. They have the starting pitching. They went out. They got guys. They got Grinky. Their lineup was consistently hitting for average and power. They did a lot of things that I think a lot of teams really, really, really look to do or dream of doing. This is the Houston Astros right now, and we kind of knew it was going to come down between the Astros and the Yankees, of course, in that championship series, and whoever would win that would ultimately win the World Series. But the Nationals are saying, not so fast. We've got guys of our own, and we're going to be able to do some things that I think are going to surprise a lot of people, including myself and uh, you, Logan. But I think that there are, with Houston, I wouldn't count them out. I think that this could be a sweep, but I could also see Houston winning all three games in Washington and this going back to Houston and seeing how that goes. So things can get crazy. Things can get really, really crazy, and I think that just describes baseball for you. Yeah, I think you look at um, 
I was looking at this because I was curious. I couldn't remember who the Nationals had acquired at the trade deadline. They really focused on fixing that bullpen. I'm yeah. looking at an article back from July, and they acquired Daniel Hudson from the Toronto Blue Jays. Then they agreed to a deal to receive um, Rowan Salias from yeah. the Mariners and as well as Hunter Strickland. Hunter so Strickland was a big one, yeah. They really focused on building that bullpen because they felt like that was the final piece they needed, and clearly it worked out for them as they're in the World Series right now. Yeah, and they added a hitter in there as well as Drupal Cabrera, um, and that's the reason why Brian Dozier, you're not seeing him play. He's on the bench, and obviously with the Nationals, there's a couple of things that I thought was quite interesting with that uh, with that pick of ours, Drupal Cabrera, and <laughs> sitting Brian Dozier. Brian Dozier hit for good power, but his average hitting was not good. He was hitting at one point, I think, around 201. <laughs> throughout the season so it was a little bit rough for him he could not get on base he hit well for power he had a couple of nice home runs but I think if you're as Drupal Cabrera right now or and you're the manager of the Washington Nationals Dave Martinez I think that you have to have as Drupal Cabrera in that lineup if you want the defensive plays first off which he's been pretty good with that in this series as well and then also um, you know the average hitting because average in this World Series is more important than long balls and Dave Martinez knows that the Astros know that everybody around this league knows that right now yeah the pitching's not going to give up a lot of runs clearly you could game two and you can say well that's not right but most of the time you're going to expect five runs maybe even that's a little too generous you're not going to expect a lot from either team it's just a matter of getting guys on base and slowly racking up that score and that's what's going to work for you all right, I'm going to say this again. Logan, have you revised your stance in the World Series, or did you feel that Washington was going to win it all the way? I had the Astros since the beginning of the playoffs, and even before the playoffs, they were my World Series pick. I'm not ready to back down on that yet. I do like what the Nationals have done, and I do think that they're going to pose a fight, but something in my gut still tells me that the Astros can take this in seven. I feel like the Nationals can win this in six or seven. I'm going to say six because I think that Houston might be able to pick up. I'd say, you know, if they're feeling dangerous, maybe if I'm feeling dangerous here, two wins maybe on the road. It's going to be hard to do, though, And I, but I, I, I'm not going to not look at that bullpen and, and that starting rotation and be like, oh, you know, Washington's going to run over. No, that's not the case. I think Houston's going to put up a fight. They're going to win two of those games. I think Washington's going to win one. And I think Washington's going to come back in Houston, as we've seen the last two games. I think they're going to take one of those. I think it's probably going to be in game six. And I think that if Scherzer's on the mound for Washington or if it's Strasburg, we've seen both of those guys. They've had their issues, but they've been able to compete as well as the other guys in the um, Washington Nationals bullpen as well. They've played pretty darn well this postseason. I mean, I've been a little bit anxious about them, but they've they've actually played pretty well. Yeah, I think if Houston wins it, it'll be in seven if they win it at all, simply because I don't think they're going to take the game with Scherzer on the mound. I think he might be against Verlander once again, but I don't think that they're going to be able to take that game. There's no one better than Scherzer right now, and I think that that's not a hot take. That's just the facts right now, and I think that I don't think they'll be able to take that game. So they're they're not winning four straight. If they win it at all, it'll there'll be one tucked in there in the middle, and they'll end up taking it in seven. All right, that, that sounds fantastic. I love that matchup, Scherzer and Verlander. All right, everybody. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit NFL. Uh, stay tuned. Stay right here. You're listening to KCOU 88.1 FM. Listen to the Hot Corner. Be right back. Missouri Tigers football and men's and women's basketball on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU Sports is brought to you by El Rancho. 
Located at 1014 East Broadway, El Rancho provides themselves in serving up fresh and authentic Mexican food. To look at their menu and learn more, go to www.columbiamomexicanfood.com. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU 88.1 FM, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. From college to MLB, join me, Taylor Renee, and me, Emma Hayes, as we discuss all things baseball on KCOU Sports' first and exclusively female talk show, A League of Their Own. Tune in every Wednesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia, or online at kcou.fm. All right, everybody, and we're back, and we're going to discuss a little NFL talk and you know, everybody, it's that time of week again for Thursday night football that happened last night. Didn't look so good for the Redskins, uh, <laughs> and that's needless to say. I think we can keep this one a little bit short, Logan, judging by our thoughts on the NFC East. But I will tell you, Dwayne Haskins came in, and I was yelling for him to come in after Keenum unfortunately got that concussion. But I will say, he didn't look so good with that one pick. Yeah, we can keep it short like this game was. This game felt like it was uh. a really short one overall. Honestly, I'm surprised the Redskins put up as much of a fight as they did regardless. I think it was interesting to see that, you know, the final score was only 19-9. to 9. I yeah. don't think we expected it to be that close. I think everyone coming in was like, oh, this is going to be a blowout and, you know, the Vikings are going to run away with it. The Redskins were still in it towards the end. I just pulled up... Um, Haskins' final stats here, obviously he wasn't the starter for much of the game, but he only had a 60% completion percentage with 33 yards and a pick. And I think when you take a rookie quarterback, I was asking myself why they didn't put in Colt McCoy. Because uh, I felt like when you take when you have your rookie quarterback and you're trying to develop him, you don't want to just thrust him into the situation where all of a sudden you're playing from behind and you're trying to get him to win the game that wasn't his mess to begin right. with. I feel like we haven't seen a lot out of Haskins when we have seen him, and we've seen him in little bits and pieces, which also makes no sense to me. So he has a 34.5 passer rating on the season. I don't yeah, like that's a little bit. I don't like that sample size, and I also don't like passer rating as a stat. But I think when it's that low, that's something to be concerned about. And I really wonder. I'm not a fan of how the Redskins are handling his development right now. I mean, I think one thing that you could say about the Redskins is similar handling this. Um, Poorly, but I think that they look at a couple of things here. They're looking at how the Chiefs developed Mahomes, and then they're also looking at how the Browns developed Mayfield. They essentially threw Mayfield in there, right? I mean, when Mayfield came in, it was during the season. It was his first season. They just let him play. They let him figure things out. And I think with the rookie Dwayne Haskins, I think everybody in that front office is terrified because they, you know, they obviously terribly mismanaged RG3. And everybody over there is, you know, is really, really, really anxious about, you know, starting him. And I think that a lot of the fans are screaming for him to start. Case Keenum has not looked good on the year. The Redskins have essentially no offense. And the last time that they've scored a quality touchdown, taking back um, the touchdown they scored against New England, and of course the touchdown that they scored against Miami, do you know what week that was? That was against Miami? Yeah, against Miami they scored a touchdown, of course, because it's Miami, and then they also had a really, really lucky touchdown that, you know, was called was uh, with a non-call illegal block on in the back. Aside from those two games and the one touchdown they scored against New England, guess when the last time the Washington Redskins scored a touchdown? I'm going to say. Let's Just take a guess. Week 16 of 2018. No, not quite that poor. Uh, week Oof. three of this year, they scored a touchdown against the Bears. Keenum and McLaurin. 
uh, was a, a key, key matchup there that night. Of course, Keenum has not been a point of discussion since that time. Obviously, when you talk about Case Keenum and how he's played, he has not looked good at all. I'm not liking him from that standpoint, but there are a lot of other options that the Redskins could take. I believe that if Gruden was still on this team, McCoy would have started in his replacement. I think also because Gruden seems to love McCoy, stemming from a 2014 night and when Colt McCoy had walked into the 6-1 and Dallas Cowboys Stadium and defeated them at AT&T Stadium. And that was incredible. It was a Monday night game, and the Redskins at that point, I believe, were 2-5, and 1-5. and five, So they were not looking good that year as well. And McCoy walked in there and beat them in a huge, huge, huge Monday night upset. Of course, the Dallas Cowboys went on to the divisional round where there was the catch-no-catch debate of Des Bryant, and the Dallas Cowboys won all of their road games that year. They were 12-4 and and had a pretty fantastic year with DeMarco Murray at running back, Tony Romo at quarterback. That was a while ago. I already feel old. Five years, can you believe it? (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy that that was already five years ago. Um, We can move on to the Vikings in just a little bit because I feel like there's... Stuff, there's oh, more yeah. things to talk unpack there. I think that's the no bias here. That's the playoff contender in this game. But I do just want to give one bit of silver lining if you're the Redskins, and I think that that's it's it's on the season. It's not necessarily just this game, but Terry McLaurin, <coughs> excuse me, Terry McLaurin is a true number one wide receiver. Oh yeah, without a doubt. He they took him in what the third round in this draft maybe even later, and he is shown out, and he has been a star that no one's really noticing simply because he plays in Washington, but he is a very good player, and he will be for quite some time. I think he's going to be the target that Haskins leans on when he finally does take over the starting job. It's going to be interesting to see how his career plays out. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because, of course, you know, you have last night and the night before. It's just everything that McLaurin has been doing has not amounted to much for Washington in terms of the win column, but he's had these, you know, standout nights that I think are just you know, reminiscent of a guy that I think is going to do a lot in the future of this league, maybe a future Santana Moss for the franchise. Um, It could be something that could be very, very interesting as the weeks go by. And he has been a big, 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 bright, shining part of this Redskins offense that has been very, very dark as of late. And throughout the season, we could obviously tell they did have a couple of close games against uh, the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, which I think was mostly close because of the garbage time touchdown. But as you said, Logan, we're going to move over to the playoff contender in this game because I have a tendency to focus on the teams that I like. The Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins have yet another win. And how are you liking Kirk Cousins this year? See, now... I was in the camp that he was a fine quarterback since the season started, and then he kind of took a step back, and I was like, all right, let's step back, let's reevaluate this. How does the Kirk Cousins contract actually look? And it's not a great contract overall, I don't think. I don't think think so either. The fully guaranteed for three years for a guy who's not great, but the fact of the matter is he has 10 touchdowns in his last three games, I believe. That might have been coming into this one, but he has played well in his past few games people are going to point to the matchups they didn't exactly have anyone tough the Lions is probably the toughest defense they played in that stretch but Kirk Cousins has looked good there were worries when they came in to face the Giants about how this offense would perform there was unrest Stefan Diggs was upset Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen were both upset at each other people were like maybe this offense will fall 
and instead they used it for motivation. Yeah. And they've looked great the past few weeks. I think they needed to turn it around quick, and they did. And now you're looking at an NFC North who has the Packers as one of the clear favorites in the NFC, and the Vikings not too far behind them, and then the Lions and the Bears needing to get things right if they want to compete in that division. Right, right. Something funny that I just want to point out. Both guys on the opposite ends of the ball had played for the opposite team, which is hilarious. Case Keenum uh, was received well in Minnesota, stemming from that year in which he was unbelievable under Pat Shermer. Of course, the miracle in Minneapolis was something that was talked about a lot. But let's just talk about Delvin Cook for a second here. I think that Kirk Cousins deserves a lot of credit for the stuff that he's um, he's orchestrated so far in the Minnesota offense. But Delvin Cook has been the rock in that offense. I think he's been the guy that has held down the fort tremendously well. The O-line has been decent. And I think that Minnesota can really do something here. They've got the number one running back in the league, arguably. And Cousins has looked better as the weeks have progressed. I think he's been under some scrutiny over the last couple of weeks. But now this offense seems to be really, really coming together. Yeah, and the Vikings are one of those teams in the offseason that it just feels like they have infinite cap space. Yeah. During the season in the offseason, they're signing Stefan Diggs to a new deal, and Everson Griffin's getting a new deal, and Anthony Barr's getting a new deal. I feel like it's just kind of like the Oprah thing of like, you get a contract, you get a contract, <laughs> you get a contract. And they're also paying all this money to Kirk Cousins. So I really don't know how they're able to keep their young core in place, but they have it for a few years. Right. And if they don't win it this year, you know, they can come back next year and still have that core in place with Cousins playing well, and he needs to keep that up. And then you have Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs at wide receiver, and B.C. Johnson, who you drafted this past year, looks very good. And they they have a core in place. Irv Smith, too, on offense looks really good, and that defense is still playing out of their mind with Harrison Smith and Xavier Rhodes. Now they're getting up there in age a little bit, but you have a lot of guys on this team that are good and are locked down into contracts for a while. And I think that if you're the Vikings, if we're talking big picture here, your Super Bowl window is wide open right now. Oh, yeah, it's wide open. I think Delvin Cook, I think a lot of these guys that I think we're seeing now, and the reason why you think they have infinite cap space is because a lot of the guys that they already have or have already picked up have been excellent this year, and they've just been coming out, have been playing tremendously that they've they've already had in that lineup. I mean, they have not had guys that they've gone after here. They've not, you know, they haven't needed to draft too many people. It's just that Delvin Cook, you know, was hurt last year, and he comes back this year, and he's he's excellent. It's not something that you see a whole lot with a running back. They're you know you know they're not people that are you know typically durable in this in this part of it they're you know they're really really actually fragile in the league if you think about it three to five years expectancy for them and Delvin Cook has come out and he's been tremendous yeah and something about Delvin Cook you don't see often a running back come back from two season ending injuries straight and be this kind of a game changer he's truly a special player and he might be the best running back in the league right now I think um, hands down, he might be the, you can call him the best running back in the league right now. And no, no one can stop him right now. The, I mean, people can't stop him. The Bears were able to hold him, but you know, that's the Bears defense. Dalvin Cook is a superstar in the league right now. And like you said, he's the rock in this offense. Maybe besides Christian McCaffrey might be the best in the league. I think that you have this core on offense with Dalvin Cook, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins. That's something that you like to talk about triplets. This team has quadruplets. (laughs) You know, this team's triplets, the quarterback, running back, wide receiver. They have two of those wide receivers who are game changers. They have a running back who's a game changer, and they have a quarterback who's not great, but he's getting the job done. And I think that that's something that's really going to benefit them moving forward, especially with 
the defense they have, they have a really talented team, and it's finally coming together on paper. Yeah, I laugh at the fact that we're, you know, essentially comparing the quadruplets to the triplets of Dallas. Although Troy Aikman was, uh, was you know, I think he's is a, lot, a little bit overrated in some sense. I feel you, like that could be something that could be, you know... It, I still think Kirk Cousins has a lot to go before he can be in that conversation. Yeah, but. I, I, they, they get the credit as the original, but you hear people in sports media all the time talk about right. the triplets that this team has and their quarterback, their running back, and their wide receiver. It's, it's not necessarily comparing them to those two. It's just saying this is what this team has at right. these positions, and I think yeah. it's a very good core. I mean, we can go through any team in the league, and there's not many, I think, that would be better than this group. I can tell you, I think anybody under center would love having those options. I think you've got the top two, you know, receivers in your in your spot, and then you've got you know a, a number one running back in the league. Um, and it's just for Minnesota. I think their fans are just loving every bit of it right now. I think Kirk Cousins. It was rough at the beginning of the year. You had guys asking, you know, talking about trades. You had guys yelling at each other in the locker room, and they figured it out in the last two games. They came out. They beat Philadelphia. They you know destroyed Philadelphia. They beat Washington. Although Kirk Cousins' primetime numbers do not look good, but um, I think he needed he needed to rely a lot on Delvin Cook in that game. The yards after catch were something that I think really really helped Kirk Cousins. But um, I think in that game, essentially, the Vikings came out. They used their options. It was a gritty, gutty performance that night. But I, I'll tell you, I think the defense played pretty well. And, of course, Washington's lack of offense will help anybody. But, unfortunately, moving on from that, I can talk about the Redskins all day long. We're going to talk a little bit Bills-Eagles here. Logan, what are your thoughts on Josh Allen? This feels like a weird game to, I assume it does for most people, a weird game to lead, lead off with, but I feel like it could be probably the best game in the noon slate this um, this week. I think that the Eagles are kind of average, and the Bills are one of those teams that's kind of hanging around. Wildly average. Yeah, and the Bills are hanging around. They're 5-1 and one right now, and it's kind of like, you know, what are we going to see from the Bills, and what are the Bills going to do this week? I think Josh Allen is, he's a very versatile quarterback. He's not a pure passer. He, a lot of his game is done on the ground and he does that very well. And Frank Gore, rookie Devin Singletary has played out for that offense. And John Smokey Brown, as they call him, <laughs> looks like a number one wide receiver, which is kind of what happened in Baltimore last year. And then he was, you know, cast aside in the free agent pile. I wonder how long it takes until someone signs John Brown to some long-term extension. Obviously, that might not happen now because he's getting up there in age. He was on right. the Cardinals for a long time, and he had that that issue with a condition that teams were probably shying away from. But he's healthy now, and he looks good. And he's really one of—I think he's one of the more underrated receivers in the league. He is a very good player, and he's shown that the past two years. He's kind of been buried on bad teams. Yeah, when you look at Philadelphia here, I think their number one run defense is going to have some problems in this game. But I think— with that said, I think the main problem is the secondary. There are too many holes in the secondary, and I think that's you know poses many many issues. There was a tweet that I loved that was sent out that said, "Hey everybody, the Bills are five and one, and they're making a run for the AFC East title." And then there was you know no one that said anything, and there was just a picture of Josh Allen raising his hand, "Hey," you know kind of thing. And I thought that was kind of funny because no one is really talking about the Bills. They're they're having a phenomenal season right now for the Bills. You know for the Bills standards. I mean, this is something that I think everybody should be discussing around the league. You know, the Buffalo Bills have come out there and they're giving the Patriots a run for their money. The Patriots are 7-0 right now. And it's just something that I think, you know, could potentially. And we saw the game that they played with New England. They didn't look bad. It was, you know, relatively a low-scoring game. But, I mean, obviously I could see the Patriots winning 
14 games this year, 16 games even potentially. I mean, the Patriots do not have a hard schedule at all. But I think the Bills, um, you know, again, it's I hate to say it because he'll be a wild card team again, but I could definitely see the Bills making the playoffs this year. And I think everybody should be talking about him because this is a team that I think a lot of people overall will like. There's a lot that they do well. And I think that that's something that people will come to enjoy when they watch this team. Yeah, that defense is stout. And you look at guys who are putting up the sacks this season right now. Jordan Phillips has four. Lorenzo Alexander has two. Jerry Hughes is one and a half. Ed Oliver has one himself. They really built a defensive core. And then you in the secondary have Tredavious White and Micah Hyde. So they've really put together some stars on defense. And they put together a serviceable unit. And just no one was talking about it. Yeah. And then this offseason, the offense kicks into high gear a little bit with Josh Allen at quarterback and Devin Singletary running like a madman. That man is efficient when they, they don't give him a lot of carries, but he does, he does everything he can with the ones that he does get. And then Frank Gore is kind of, you know, holding down the fort at running back. And then, like I said, John Brown at receiver. So they've got a lot of talent and it's a pretty fun team to watch overall. And they're winning games right now. Not many, not many teams can hold the Patriots to 19 points. One of one of those touchdowns coming on special teams. So they've really got a nice defensive unit in place. If the offense can score more points, I like where this Bills team is headed. All right, Logan. So we're going to go to picks now. And if you're feeling dangerous, go ahead and give me a score, as Patrick would say. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if I got a score for this one. I don't know if I have a score for this one either. I think it could go either way, honestly. But with what we were just saying, I think I'm going to stay stay in line here. I'm going with the Bills. I'm going to go with the Bills as well. Bills are also at home, which is something that is pretty important for them. Another thing that I'd like to quickly mention here, I'm glad that we picked it safe because I believe we were 1-12 and 12 on picks last week. So that was a bit of a rough outing for us. 2-10. Um, 2-10, and, ten. Two and ten. okay. Picks. Not those as two bad wins, as I thought. Those two wins, both coming from yours truly, Yeah, I would like to mention. Okay, and Logan. also, we... I had talked to Patrick um, for the show. I messaged him last night. We actually have his picks for this week in our games. So Patrick has also chosen the Buffalo Bills. So that's one of the games where we're all in lockstep. And it's one of those games that always makes me nervous. Yes, it does. We have not had a good track record when we all pick the same team. Uh, But moving on here, uh, 49ers, Panthers. Bit of an interesting matchup here. I think that, you know, you got the Niners who have been having a pretty good year so far. Actually, very good year. What am I saying? They've been fantastic. And you've got the Panthers with Kyle Allen, who's essentially come into this mess and has made a beautiful image of himself out of this. What do you think? I think the Kyle Allen hype is a little overblown. And I'm not saying that he hasn't looked good because he has. But Christian McCaffrey, I've been saying it for the past couple weeks. I may have even said it on the show once. Christian McCaffrey is the engine that makes this offense go. He's the one who does the heavy lifting. He's the one who does all the work. And he's getting the credit for it. But I don't I don't know if I trust Kyle Allen to come into a game where, you know, you're behind and you're trying to work back from a deficit. When you need to pass and you need to go deep, obviously Christian McCaffrey can help you out in that regard. You're going to need to use the weapons you have at your disposal, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, and I don't know if Kyle Allen can do that yet. Yeah, the Niners picking up a win against the Redskins last week. As we talked about, they are 6-0. and Panthers are 4-2. and Sons Newton. That was a bizarre game, by the way. 
against the Redskins. One of the most bizarre games I had ever seen, but um, people talked about how dominant the Niners were going to be, and I gave them credit for saying that because it was rainy. There was, you know, conditions on the field and things had to be changed, but I think that helps the Redskins more than anybody else because when you are a team that is, you know, really, really bad and you have essentially almost no chance of winning that game, the thing that helps you best is chaos, and I think that certainly came there, but I think that was a test of the Niners because the rainy conditions and everything else, they were still able to win that game nine to nothing so quite interesting for them still remaining undefeated I love Kyle Shanahan I'll say not just because he was a former Redskins coach but because of how he runs that offense and defense I think he's been a great coach so far and I think the Panthers you gotta love them for what they're doing I mean they lose their starter you know there's been so much talk about you know Will Greer and and whether that's going to happen or not and then Kyle Allen comes in here and I'll tell you Christian McCaffrey has been outstanding he's been stellar phenomenal great running back you know, he's good at running the ball. He's good. At, he's a great pass catcher as well. So, you know, it's something that I think a lot of people keep talking about. And you brought this point up, I think, a couple of weeks ago. What does this Panthers offense look like without Christian McCaffrey? It's completely different. So I think they're relying too much on one guy here. What do you think? Yeah, they've been giving him a lot of touches. And, you know, you want to see more, obviously, want to. It might be a loose term, but right. if you're a Panthers fan, you're worried about this guy's durability and you want to see guys like Cameron Artis Payne even getting just a couple carries a game just to take some load off of McCaffrey. And I do like what you said about the 49ers. I think their offense hasn't had to do much. When they have, they've played out, and that you should see that against the Browns very early. They were moving the ball and playing really well. But I think this defense is really the cornerstone of this 49ers team. Robert Sala, the um, defensive coordinator there, is getting head coaching buzz for next year. He's been running that defense that yeah. well. And you've got guys like DeForest Buckner and you know Nick Bosa has really become a premier edge rusher in the league over just the first six weeks of his professional career. So I think... That team has a special defense. They're a stout defense, and they can hang with just about anyone in the NFC, the 49ers can. Yeah, Bosa has been fantastic this year, being the second overall pick. It has been great to see him really, really play well. He's been somebody that I think the Niners have really, really, really needed coming out of Ohio State. I think that adding somebody in particular when you have Nick Bosa, really, really adding to that you know defensive end portion of it. I think that this is a team that, I think can go places. I think, you know, Garoppolo has, you know, he's, he's been pretty good this year, but he's not been, you know, awesome. I think it's been mostly everybody around him that has helped carry him around. Yeah. I've always said that he, he, there were questions coming into the season about whether or not Garoppolo would play up to the standards that's been given to him. And it's not that I said he hasn't, it's that I've said he hasn't had to. Right. This defense is putting them in a position to win games where they don't need to score a lot. The running game is really helping Garoppolo. Matt Breed and Tevin Coleman might be one of the best running back duos in the NFL right now. I think there's a lot to love about this 49ers team. It has the talent on paper, and it's coming together on the field. And I think, like I said, they can hang with hang with <clears throat> excuse me. They can hang with just about anyone in the NFC right now. Yeah. Um, again, so if you're feeling dangerous, go ahead and give me a score. But uh, what's your what's your winner's pick in this one? So while I have the mic here, I also want to say that Patrick picked the 49ers to win this oh. game, and I am agreeing with him. I think the 49ers come out on top in this one. Looks like it's going to be all three of us picking the same team to win again. I have Hopefully a feeling that, our third game will be no different. But. You know, it's great to be right when that happens, but it's also, it really sucks to be wrong. I'll tell you, going 2-10 and 10 is not fun, <laughs> especially if you're a football team or three guys who host a radio show. All right, so for our third 
game of the week, and I saved the best for last. Packers, Chiefs, uh, and Mahomes will not be playing in this game for the Chiefs. Unfortunately, it seems as if this game would have been even more higher in prime time. I would have loved to see a Mahomes-Rodgers matchup. Uh, could have been if you were, I mean, this is a bit of a far-fetched phrase here, but I, I believe that this could have been a Super Bowl matchup um, at some point. But I, I just think that this game has just so much going for it here. Mm-hmm. Now, Mahomes has played in practice. He has been practicing. He's currently designated as doubtful for this game. So what that tells me is that they don't think he's going to play, but they want to leave open the possibility that he could. So we'll see as it gets closer to Sunday night what they actually determine. But right now, he's not completely out of it. I want to hold out hope that he plays maybe just because I want to see this Rodgers-Mahomes matchup. Right. But if you're not getting 100% Mahomes, then you're probably not going to play him anyways. So we'll see how it plays out. I I mean, let's get excited over Matt Moore. <laughs> How about let's let's try and build that one up. Yeah, I think the Packers have a great team in place. We've seen it. They're probably one of the favorites in the NFC right now. And the Chiefs are probably one of the favorites in the AFC. I think even still with the Mahomes injury, they are one of the best teams in an otherwise weak conference, I think. I think everybody's kind of putting down Kansas City because they, they don't look like quite what they did last year. I mean, folks, they're 5-2. and two. I mean, that's that's pretty good. I mean... Granted, you know, the Vikings are also five and two, but I think that, you know, a five and two team at this point at this season halfway through, I think we're kind of really kind of seeing how some of these teams are starting to, you know, take their divisions. We have a large enough sample size to start making some determination as to who's going to win, you know, what and where. Obviously, the NFC East is something that I think is a toss up. But I think at this point with the Green Bay Packers, the NFC North is probably has been one of the most competitive divisions in this league. I mean, you've got the Bears in there, you've got the Vikings in there. I mean, this is just such a competitive division. The Lions as well, who have been pretty good as well. So I think that this is such an interesting division for Green Bay to be in. They're leading the pack, you know, pun intended. But, uh, you know, it's just something that I think Aaron Rodgers, we've seen him kind of come back and we've seen him essentially be a shade of his former self with McCarthy gone. I think LaFleur has let him run this offense the way that he's wanted. And it's been successful. And I think for the chiefs, it's just been, you know, a lack of luck with losing Mahomes here. And it's just been a lack of luck. So. Yeah, I think we talked about it last week, but I want to see how the chiefs defense performs in this game, because that's something that really stood out to me against Denver. But I do want to go back to the point you made about the NFC North being competitive Right now, they have the Packers at 6-1. and one. The Vikings are close behind at 6-2. Six and two. Six So and we'll two. see if the Packers lose, then those two become tied. And I believe the Packers have the tiebreaker in that one. I believe they beat the Vikings. And then you have the Bears in third place at 3-3, three and three, and the Lions at 2-3-1 and one right now. So wow. there's no team that I look at and say they're the clear loser of that division. The Bears are struggling right now. They could easily lose their next few and, you know, find themselves in the cellar. And then also the Lions... The hype always felt overblown to me, and just when I bought into them, now they're at the bottom of the division. Right. But I really think being at the bottom of the NFC North makes you better than any other team at the bottom of their division right now. I think this right. is the most competitive division in football, and for my money, the best division in football. And it's going to be interesting to see this race play out. If 
the Lions and Bears do need to win more games in order to be competitive in this division, but it's not completely out of their reach yet. All right. Uh, yes, the Lions, of course, are not as bad as everyone thinks, and they're actually changing the notion that just because you're in last place, that doesn't mean you are as bad as they say last place is. They're, you know, two, three, and one. They're not bad, and I just think that the Lions, they're playing up to their opponents here, and I think that they played uh, Green Bay very, very well. I don't want to talk about too much about uh, Booger McFarland and his um, <laughs> his his thoughts on the officiating of that game. But, uh, you know, they're playing against the Giants, and I think that that's something that will be, um, you know, we'll keep a close eye on because it's going to be interesting. Two and five team facing two, three and one team uh, on the road, that being Detroit hosting it. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, if you are any NFC North team, you hate this division because it's so close. And if you're any other football fan, you love this division because right. it's so close. And putting my Bears fandom aside, I'm not a fan of this division right now because there are so many good teams in it. But I'm also such a fan of this division right now because there's so many good teams in it and so much talent. Anytime there's an NFC North matchup on TV, I'm watching that matchup. It's four good to great teams and they all play tough against each other, and I love this division right now. All right, and uh, again, pick for this game, and if you're feeling dangerous, go ahead and give me a score. I'm not, in fact, feeling dangerous. Oh. I'm not Baker Mayfield. I'm sorry, but I am taking the Packers in this game over Casey. It might have gone differently if there was Mahomes in the game, and Patrick clearly agrees with me as he is taking Green Bay as well. I would have... Um, would have been no difference to me. I think Rodgers versus Mahomes. I still think Rodgers has a better chance of winning that matchup, just judging by the way he's played this year. And I think the Green Bay defense has been um, spectacular <clears throat> as well. Excuse me. But I think that I'm definitely taking Green Bay at this point. They are the better team. And, um, you know, if we're looking at upset picks here, who are you feeling is, is, is a big upset pick? Okay, so... Patrick chose the one that I almost chose for this week. He chose Oakland to upset Houston, which, you know, the Raiders uh, playing devil's advocate for him here. The Raiders look like they could be uh, a team that's hanging around in there. I don't think they're great, but they have looked good. Darren Waller looks good. Josh Jacobs looks like a star. So that's a little bit of um, reasoning for his pick. I see exactly why he did it. I'm going a little more bold. Okay. I'm going to take the New York Jets over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Wow. I'm looking in the face of Minshew Mania, and I'm saying, nah, Sam Darnold's <laughs> coming to town. And I think that he goes on the road in this game. They played tough against the Cowboys. They played less tough against the Patriots. Mm. But I think that they can give Jacksonville a run for their money in this game. And I think that the Jets' record doesn't speak to how good they are, obviously, because you had Sam Darnold out with Mono, which was a huge right. thing. But I think him coming back, he's ready to play. He's ready to fight. I think the Jets take the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right. I'm going to be a little bit bold as well. And judging by last week's performance, I um, I, I, I don't know if I want to be right on this, but I was going to go ahead and pick the Denver Broncos over the Indianapolis Colts. I know that Joe Flacco has looked like an absolute statue in the pocket. He's been sacked before. The Denver offense isn't as respectable, but I think if the defense is able to come up big against Jacoby Brissett, I think that that should be an interesting game. So my pick for that one is Denver over Indianapolis. I really am not feeling confident about that, but that's why it's an upset. All right. Well, with that, we're gonna uh, we'll head off to break. When we come back, it's the final word. Keep listening. You're listening to KCOU 88.1 FM. You're listening to the Hot Corner. 
on Sundays at 11 a.m. It's the Weekly Walkthrough. Join Ethan Salm and Nick Catlin as they discuss the biggest and most important sports news of the week. Tune in right here on KCOU 88.1 FM, on KCOU.FM, or find the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching for the Weekly Walkthrough. Follow us on Twitter at Weekly Walk KCOU, and be sure to tune in on Sundays at 11 a.m. for all the latest in sports. No, no wingman, that's only my Hey, Mizzou fans, did you know that Mizzou has the best fans in America? Well, it's true. We treat other teams as players and fans with respect. We carry ourselves with class and dignity. We cheer loudly for Mizzou, and we take pride in our choices. This public service announcement has been brought to you by the Wellness Resource Center, Craft Beer Cellar, and KCOU 88.1 FM. All right, everybody, welcome back. And it's that time of the show again. It is the final word. And Logan, I'm going to do something that I think has never been done before. I'm going to let you go before me. You'll start off. I think it's fitting because unfortunately for today, I did not have a chance to queue up our final word music. (laughs) So you had to hear Here Comes the Sun. So I apologize for that. I know you're waiting for the, the actual song. But I had to I had to throw something in there because I couldn't cue up our normal songs. So we're doing it a little different today. I have a story that comes to you from the great, great city of Champaign, Illinois. Champaign, if Illinois. You remember in college football last Saturday, the biggest upset of the week was the fighting Illini of the University of Illinois coming in, beating Wisconsin with the last second field goal. And I wanted to focus on a player from that. His name is Ayo Shogboinyo, and he is a outside linebacker for the fighting Illini. He was seen crying tears of joy after the game against Wisconsin. And he said he thought of his teammate, Bobby Roundtree, who could not experience the marquee win. Um, he is in a rehab facility right now dealing with an injury, so he was not able to be there. And some quotes from Shug Boigno about that. He says, as James McCourt made the field goal, tears of joy were flowing down my face. I kind of feel it right now still a little bit. I had people like Bobby in my mind, all the other players on our team who can't play right now. That was for them, showing we're 97 strong, and when the time comes for us to buckle down, we got it. Shug Boigno is um, Bobby Roundtree's replacement right now, so he's trying to fill the role that... Roundtree left when he was injured. He called him on FaceTime to experience it with him. He said, we just told him that that was for him, Shugbonyo said. We wanted him to be a part of the excitement in the locker room, the celebration. We had to call him and get him on the phone. He was excited. Same old Bob, happy, just Bob. So I love to see, when you talk about football teams like this, they really are, I think we talked about it last week a little bit, they're brothers and they're coming together in a marquee win against number six ranked with Wisconsin. It's really a beautiful story. Yep. And then of course, very good story there, Logan. And my hero of the week, uh, we had to do with a lot about, I call, had the opportunity to call a women's basketball and exhibition matchup between Missouri and Truman state. And there was one player on that team that I think really stuck out. And it was not just because of how well she played, but also the story behind her Jersey number, Asia Blackwell. Um, for Missouri had an unbelievable game last night. She's my hero of the week, but her jersey number, I believe, initially was going to be 32, but she has decided to wear number 33 to honor her father, Ernest, who was drafted by the Chiefs in the 1998 draft. Two picks ahead of Pat Tillman, by the way, fun fact. 
Um, he was a star running back for Mizzou from 1994 to 1997, and she honored her father last night by wearing his former jersey number, number 33. Hasn't been worn in, I believe, 24 years. So just an incredible story there. Had an unbelievable performance. Got a standing ovation as she walked off the court for a substitution. So just an incredible story there. All right, everybody. And with that, that has this has been another episode of The Hot Corner. And unfortunately, we have to end. So... We'll see you next week. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter. I'm at Imami Michael. That is at the Logan Franz. And go ahead and follow Patrick Harrion Jr. Why not? At Pat Harrion. All right, everybody. Well, with that, we'll see you next week. Same place, same time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And have a wonderful weekend. This has been the Hot Corner signing off. I hate to butt into the outro. But be sure to follow our show's Twitter account and Hot Corner Sports as well. All right. Yes, of course. And with that, have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you very much for listening.